So last week we, we talked about, uh, we talked about a lot, but really in First Peter where we're at, remember that there was a portion, a large portion of slaves to their masters and then wives to their husbands. They're coming out of chapter two. So slaves to their masters, wives to their husbands. And here's where I want to, I want to bring this out that, and this is very relevant for our conversation today um, because we have to consider that this is not a westernized book. This book it was not written to Americans. It was not. We have to wrap our head around that the author here, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was speaking to an early church context. And so we have to put ourselves in their shoes. We have to put ourselves in the context of what did these first early Christians believe? What did they understand to be true? What, what was their concept of the underworld or the afterlife, right? So we're going to be confronted with that in today's text, but I also wanted to uh, just circle back around just a little bit and show you one, one piece from the Apostle Paul. I love this. I think it's great for us to oscillate between Paul and Peter in this book because they're on the same team. They had their conflicts. They had their issues. They had their struggles with each other. Um, but one balances the other out. And so when we see Peter speaking to slaves in this context, you have to understand that it's not like the slavery context of the American history. It was not. It wasn't uh, running and enslaving and putting people into slavery and they were subject to. That's, that happened, yes, it was a p some of it, but it wasn't all of it. And so this applies to slaves that we see are here in the text that, that put themselves in that position for their own posterity. So it, it's not an apple for apple illustration. So my point is, is that Peter's making a point in this text that if you're in a bad circumstance, don't leave, stay, um, submit yourself to that. If you're a wife, there's in chapter three, verses one through seven, I think it is, there's six verses to the wife and one verse to the man. How is that fair? How is that equal? The point is not equality. The point is to the underdog. Paul is specifically preaching to the slave. He's specifically preaching to the wife who would be the lesser of in this context. Why? Because the theme of this book is suffering. The theme in the context is how you endure. Remember, be subject to the emperor. Who's the emperor? Nero. He's persecuting Christians. He's killing Christians. So the whole book is framed to the underdog, and Peter is doing that with our, our, pre, uh, our preconditions to what these social classes mean. But I want to clarify that the Bible is both speaking to the context, and it is also ahead of its time. Similar to America, right? We had in our belief system that all men are created equal, and slowly but surely in our 300 years of existence, we've abolished slavery. We've done away with uh, things that are unacceptable culturally that don't line up with the beliefs of Scripture or, watch this, the true beliefs of the Founding Fathers, right? So over time, we've seen uh, that, that that belief that all men are created equal has prevailed. So in Scripture, rather than taking the approach that the Bible doesn't condemn slavery, we understand that it was impossible to speak into this context Leave slavery. Don't, don't submit yourself to that structure in society. That would have ended in certain death for them. So Peter speaks into the context and says, if you're in this position, this is how you should act. Wife, if you're in a position where you have a husband who's not a believer, this is how you should act. It doesn't condone the behavior. 
So as we formulate our thoughts and opinions, I've heard uh, the tremorings, especially of this society, especially you younger ones, uh, that are being indoctrinated with the context of what people want you to believe about history, right? You need to understand that the Bible isn't condoning that. The Bible's working in it. The Bible always comes to us where we are and helps us work through our messiness, not condoning our, our messiness. And I want to prove that to you this morning before we jump into the text. Go to Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. This is all extra. If you're following the program, you're immediately seeing how Pastor Matt never follows the program, and I apologize. Genesis 3, verse 28. I feel like I just have to share this with you. There is no Jew or Greek slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are of Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. That's, that is the standard. The standard across the board. How does that tie in with Peter's writing? You're chosen living as exiles. You're a royal priesthood. Whether you're a slave, whether you're a wife, whether you're a husband, you're chosen. In, in the, the kingdom of God, there is no slave and free, but I'm going to tell you how to act if you're a slave. It doesn't condone it. Within the very words of Paul, Paul says, listen, there is no such thing as slave or free. There's e equality. The, the fact that we have a society today that is ending slavery in all people groups is proof that the word of God works. Without the gospel, without the Judeo-Christian values, historically, we would still have slavery. We have to commit ourselves to be people of the book and people of history. And if we're not, we will, we will just eat what is spoon-fed to us, and, and, and we will end up in a scenario believing something that is absolutely not true. According to the Bible, they were working within those so social constructs, but Paul was clear that those social constructs should not exist. So it's important for you to see, does everybody understand where I'm coming from in this? We're reading about slavery, we're, we're reading about, you don't understand, I'm going to circle back around. No, this is very important. If you're a parent, if you're a leader, if you, if you have children, you have to teach this to your children. Online, you have to teach this. There are many people teaching your children whether you uh, watch a Disney movie, watch, watch a Netflix series. They're teaching you. They're indoctrinating you. They want you to, to believe it the way that they want you to believe it. They're shaping your thinking. And if you don't have the chief cornerstone as your foundation, you will believe anything. Right? Those who stand for nothing will what? Fall for anything. Understand this. We work within these constructs. Don't, youngsters, do not write off the Bible because it talks about slavery. That's a mistake. That would be a huge miss on your part. Everything talked about slavery. Everyone had slavery in their mindset and in their concepts and in their society and in their social structure. What we have to realize is that the truth of the word of God, Paul knew it, Peter knew it, that this would eventually end it. And that's proof. Galatians is proof. The same Paul, also I want to say this, the same Paul that said, listen, uh, the same God, Lord, overall, husband or wife, bond or free, it doesn't matter, we're all equal, also said wives submit themselves. So therefore we have to understand that just because one is in subjection to another doesn't mean one is not equal to the other. That is a false construct. It is a false construct to believe that because you work for or are under someone's leadership that you are lesser than them. If you, if you are in a relationship that you feel lesser than, 
That is against scripture. It is against the Bible. Just because wives are to be subject unto their husbands as the, the, the lesser vessel, the weaker vessel, had nothing to do with equality, had nothing to do with one's worth. Why? Because we're all made in the image of God. Don't allow yourself to fall in a trap to cause yourself to, to say that this, bu- this book is filled with contradictions. No, this book is filled with truth. And this book is leading us in love to a place where we all will be. They that know the truth, the truth will what? Make you free. So anyway, I I just felt the need to to circle back around. I didn't have much time to get into that last week, uh, and I feel like it's important. Um, Yeah, so there's that. (laughs) All right, let's jump into this week's message. This week's, this week's message, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, buckle up, I'm about to jump right in, and there's going to be just some interesting things today, interesting things. How many of you believe that God exists? Okay, okay. How many know God, as we know him, Yahweh existing in eternity, is not a man? I'm not speaking to the Trinity, but God is a the, the supreme being that lives above us, that is over us. How many believe that? How many believe that God created divine beings like angels? Wow. All right, so we're good. So what I'm about to say shouldn't uh, shock you, excuse me, uh, it, because it fits within what you already believe uh, as far as those constructs of divine beings. And so that there's the unseen realm and the seen realm. And when God created Eden, there seems to be an overlap, Right? There seems to be an overlap. Many, many think about uh, Eden, the garden, that terminology in that ancient Near East. Garden is, is like saying temple. It's like the gardens, the high places, the mountaintops. Those were all places where they did their worship. So when we consider how they thought back then, the garden of Eden, it's like saying the temple of God. And people were existing in that temple. And, and in the temple, it's always the place in scripture where heaven and earth overlap where heaven and earth come together, where the unseen realm and the seen realm seem to intertwine, where the Shekinah glory or the spirit of God would manifest itself in the midst of the temple, in the tent of meeting, where we would now see a divine being in the seen realm. And so uh, this happens throughout scripture. And so what Peter's going to talk about in this passage is about some of that unseen realm doctrine, some of the the angels and demon type philosophies that we're going to see, we're going to get a first-hand view what Peter thought about the unseen realm. Uh, so this, today's message is specific to what I had mentioned before we started the series on there's going to be a message about some of that unseen stuff, some of the spooky stuff, uh, and that's today. So I pray that you receive it, but we're going to bring in some things, some elements that Peter brings into the text um, and prayerfully, it will bring clarity, and it won't muddy the waters. I, I, today is not a, a one-hit wonder, okay? It's not going to be, I get it, yeah, this is great, and you move on. Today should spark interest. Today should bring your mind around, like, some of the concepts, and then you're going to have to take the program, go back, and you're going to have to read, you're going to have to study, you're going to have to pray in the Holy Spirit that he will literally lead you and guide you and direct you uh, because it's some weighty stuff. All right, are you ready? Are you ready? Who's ready? You ready to jump in? 1 Peter chapter 3, let's go to verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Before we get into the unseen stuff, Peter's going to really bring weight here, and I love this. Verse 13, who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? Bill, I just want to take a moment before I jump in and thank you. Bill 
Bill Clock has devoted himself to helping engage our online community through running the screens and stuff back there. Bill, thank you for what you're doing. Bill, is everything okay? Just give me a thumbs up. Everything okay? Good, amen. Anyway, encourage Bill. God bless him. Hey, encourage Kyle. Poor Kyle. The sound man always takes the wrath first. Man, thank you guys for doing what you're doing. Okay, back to the text. Who then will harm you? Who then? We have a question. Look, if they ask a question in the text, we need to ask a question. We need to focus in. Look, look what Peter says. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? What a good question. What a good question. Who then will harm you? The theme of this book is suffering. The theme of this book is how to make it through a tough time. The theme of this book is being a Christian in, in a kingdom with Nero as the emperor who's persecuting you. How, who then will harm you? I love this. If you are devoted to what is good. Maybe what you think is bad really isn't bad. Interesting. Verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are what? Come on, if you have the word, you are what? Blessed. Really? Yeah. I'm just going to read through here. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give offense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the what? Hope. It's two words that we're going to deal with. One is hope, the hope that is what? In you. I think about another word in the New Testament that just came to me. Hope of glory. The hope of glory, the hope that is in you, right? Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. That's why it's important to not live in sin. For it is better to suffer for doing what is good, if it should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also, here's the shift, for Christ also suffered (laughs) for sins once for all, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to who? God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the what? By the Spirit. Here here it comes. In which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits, little s, in prison. The spirits in prison. That's interesting, isn't it? Who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of who? God was patient in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it, a few, that is, eight people were saved through water. There's a connection here between the Lord bringing about a worldwide flood, the eight that he saved, and the spirits that he was condemning. Something happened, right? Baptism, which corresponds to this. Did y'all study baptism in starting point today? We're about to bring a whole new perspective to this here in just a minute. Baptism, which corresponds to this. You didn't know that, like, baptism, when you got in the water, had something to do with Noah's Ark? That's neat. God's wanting us to put bath toys in the baptistry, like little arcs. Anyway, that fell flat. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, which I love that he clarified this, because a lot of people think baptism saves. That's That's not the case. But the pledge of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with, he's very particular here, with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. 
we're, we're about to get into this. Before we dig into the latter part of the passage, let's ask the same question and dig into the front part. Look at verse 13. Who then will harm you? So the question is asked, who then will harm you? Let me ask you this question. Who's going to hurt you? Many of us today, before we get into the, the meat of this passage, we need to just pull up here and say, what are we scared of? When you worship, when you have these moments of vulnerability in our service, or when you go to your knees and, and your prayer life is, becomes alive, what stops you? What, what, what confronts you? What do you pull short up on? Where, where, where does that connection between God and reality, the unseen and the seen, meet for you? And, and I, would, I would propose to you this morning the same way Peter did. Let's ask the question, what are you scared of? Christians, what are you scared of? Non-believers, what are you scared of? You see, this is a good question. I, I believe it not just because it's written there. I believe that we should ask ourselves this. What is, and here's, here's the title of the message, are we there yet? The worst of the trip. The worst of the trip. What is your greatest fear? Go ahead in your mind, just take a walk down the corridor, the halls of of your spirit and your soul and, and what's hanging there. If this happens, that's the worst. I can't deal with that. If this, ha as a parent, I, I don't know about you, but I often think about the worst case is what? Something with my children. Lord, do whatever you want to do to me. I don't really care anymore. You know, I, I, I'm t past that point of really caring. Why don't you come back? Why don't you end life as we know it? But just, Lord, don't let anything happen to my kids. I'm terrified about my kids. That's my, when I ask that, who, who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? Well, my kids, that would hurt me. That would harm me. You ask the question, what is your greatest fear? And I say this online in person because do you understand that the Bible will answer your greatest fear in just a few moments? We have the greatest answer. His name is Jesus. We like to say it this way at Bethlehem. Simply Jesus. We don't avoid hard questions. We embrace them. We come into the house of God today and we ask the hard question. What are you scared of? When you close your eyes at night, what do you think of? What is there? What do you ruminate on? What do you chew on that really just, it disconnects you from reality. And you go, That's, I just couldn't handle that if that happened. Peter is saying, that's what I'm addressing in this scripture, the worst of the worst. He says this, he says, who then will harm you, even if the worst happens, even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Here's a few things. The first thing, even if the worst happens, you are still blessed. When the worst tries to instill fear, tell fear who created it. Let me give you a little construct here that Peter gives us. Sin is the cause of fear, and Christ paid for those fears. Sin is the cause of fear. Most people fear death. Stay with me. Look at this text here. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not what? Fear them or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ, the Lord is holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. Peter is saying this, sin is the cause for those fears that you have. And if you understand that, that those fears have been taken care of by Jesus Christ, then you don't have anything to be afraid of. When you close your eyes and you think of the worst, understand that 
sin is the cause of that and that those sins have been paid for. Here's my answer. In the construct of what Peter is giving, the question is, who then will harm you? Peter says, don't fear them or be intimidated. In your hearts, in your hearts, cling to hope. So here's, here's what I came up with. From the text, your reaction to life's fears and problems is the only thing that can harm you. The problems can. When it comes to your clarity of your worst fears, the only thing that can harm you as it pertains to those is your reaction to those fears. The snowball effect that comes when we overreact to things the Lord has already cared for. That's when we begin to literally add insult to injury. Peter said, don't fear, don't be intimidated. And it's hard for us in our context as Americans, think about what these guys were going through. Don't, don't fear, don't be intimidated. But here's what I also see here, right? But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason to hope. Yet do this with gentleness, reverence, keeping a what? Clear conscience. So that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to what? Shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if it should be God's will, than for doing what? Evil. There's the break. So here's the break. It's this. Living against the created order is a surefire way into a mental health crisis. How many know that anxiety is at an all-time high? How many know that depression is at an all-time low? No, is at an all-time high? It's through the roof. We, we literally are one big mental crisis today. One big one. Why is that? For Christians, we are literally living opposed to the order that God created when we sin. Peter says, don't fear or be intimidated, but he also says, listen, if you don't live with a clear conscience, then you're going to heap guilt on yourself. You're going you're to literally reap things in your life that Jesus paid for, and you're going to deal with that conflict. Peter says, if you have the worst of the worst in mind, you're still blessed if you go through it. Why don't we have that stability in our lives in 2021? Why don't we have the stability to, to close our eyes at night and pillow our head and go, yep, I'm good, I'm blessed, no matter what I got, hashtag blessed, no matter what. Why don't we have that resolve? How many of you have that resolve? Don't raise your hand, rhetorical. How many have that? How many actually go to sleep at night and you're not concerned about what happened that day at work? You're not concerned about your kids dying. You're not concerned about, I, I'm just being real with you, no, the, the, the polls show that most are freaked out about it. Most need medication to get through it. And Peter is saying, and I'm not diminishing mental illness, but Peter is showing here, it's better to suffer for doing good. I feel as though the Lord is saying this, stop bringing things upon yourself by living a sinful life. If, if you will just commit to living out the hope, if you will commit to living in Christ, if you will commit to God's holiness, if you will commit to reverence and gentleness and understand that you're going to walk through really horrible times, I'll give you the peace. I will bless you. I will put your mind at ease. 
But most Christians are going, I want to live the way I want to live. I want to do what I want to do, pastor, and I still want to be able to pillow my head at night and not fear those things. And the Lord is saying, you can't do that. Living duplicit, I believe, is the greatest cause for anxiety and fear in our lives. When you have that sin in your mind that you know is going to bear about bad news in your life, that you know the law of sowing and reaping still exists, you know you did that thing that you shouldn't have done and you're going to pay for it, that's the cause for our anxiety. So therefore, I would say this to you. Don't put on God what God did not do. We have to live holy. Listen, if we're going to be okay with hard times in our lives, here, you, the choice is yours. Peter's making it very clear. You can choose to have peace and security in the turbulent times of life, or you can choose to live in sin and deal with it on your own. I'll choose the peace and security by living a holy life. I'll choose teaching my children how to live according to God's word and dealing with the rest of it in his blessing rather than dealing with the consequences of sin for the remainder of my life. Let's call it what it is. The Lord just doesn't give me peace. Right, because you're not living in such a way that the Lord can give you peace. Thank you. Living against the created order is a surefire way to enter into a mental health crisis. Living in sin is the fastest way to be crippled with fear and anxiety. If you struggle with fear and anxiety, ask the Holy Spirit, reveal in me things that I don't have to be doing, that I shouldn't be doing, and help me live in a Christ-honoring way. That will probably cut it in half. The Lord's like, here's favor, here's peace, here's grace, here's mercy. Anyway, oh my goodness, it's 12 o'clock. Verse 17, God bless. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Being Christ-like is accepting, listen to me, it's accepting hardship for the sake of others. I'm going to be real with you. I'm going to be real transparent right now, in this moment. Some of us need to learn this quickly. Some of us need to learn living right so that we can walk through a hard time with God's peace because someone's salvation is depending upon it. Someone's salvation, some coworker, some family member, I'm telling you right now, it's more important for you to live holy and have the peace of God to walk through a hard time because someone needs to see that. Do you understand we have the answer for every fear, every piece of guilt, everything that intimidates us, Peter says? We have the answer to make it through all of that. And then the answer is Jesus. But if you live in sin, you will not be that answer for someone. It's important for us to live holy, Christ-honoring lives so that we can be a blessing to others through suffering. Some of you are running from suffering. You're running from that hard thing that the Lord is wanting you to walk through because you're scared and intimidated that the Lord's not going to give you his favor and his peace and his grace and his mercy. But let me tell you something. If there's anything that I've learned, my wife and I both, the Lord will give you that grace. The Lord will give you that peace to walk through those hard times. He absolutely will. Don't believe the devil's lie. Run to the Father. Fall into that grace this morning. Don't let fear and intimidation keep you from it. That's the one thing he, he's leading. Yea, though I walk through the, the valley of the shadow of death, for thou art with me. I got to get through this. Choose to live. We could stay there all service. Do you understand what I'm saying? We could stay right there in this moment because this is what's keeping Christians from being Christians. You're scared to death. You, you have nothing to fear this morning. Nothing to fear. Let it go. 
live in the Lord. Okay, we got to move on. Choose to live in what others, no, I'm going to go back to it. <laughs> if it be God's will to reveal for others how powerful the gospel is. Okay, Peter is going to use a typology here in these last few verses. When something from the Old Testament corresponds with something happening in the New Testament, this is where we're at now. Rich, good to see you, bro. Good to see you. You're going to really like what I'm about to say, I just, just so you know. <laughs> I just saw them back there. Y'all been on a three-hour tour, haven't you? How was Florida? Amen, amen. Peter's using typology here in the last few verses. When something from the Old Testament corresponds with something happening in the New Testament in an interpretive or prophetic way, we have a typology. Paul uses a typology. Adam is a type of Christ, a type of Jesus, in that he sinned and passed on sin to every human being. Are you familiar with this? Whereas Jesus defeats sin through his death and passes on life to every human being that pledges their loyalty to him. So what is that? It's a typology. Listen to this verse. Romans, this is from Paul. We're looking at both authors. Romans 5.14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those that did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. So we have Paul saying Adam lived, and because he sinned, watch this, he passed transgression on to every man. Romans 5.12, two verses before that was, Wherefore is by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. I'm going quickly here, but we, we find the point, uh, and that's King James, because <laughs> that's what comes out, sorry. Uh, we, we find that, that Adam sinned and passed sin. Watch this, the typology, Jesus defeats sin and passes life to all men, typology. We read the old, the old Covenant, the Old Testament, and we see direct correlations in that opposite way. That's that interpretive, prophetic word that brings strength to the gospel. We all die in Adam. We all what? Live in Jesus. Do we see that? Yeah, yeah, we see that. Great. Peter's doing the same thing with a different person here, I submit to you. Here we go. We're just going to dive right in. Job chapter 1, if you're on the program, these scriptures are there. Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Job chapter 1. Put your thinking caps on. 12.05. We're doing really good on time. I love this. Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. One day, the sons of God. Put mental note. The sons of God. One day, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. We're not going to focus on the Satan figure here. We're going to focus on the sons of God figure. The Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the what? The earth. Satan answered and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you what? Considered my servant Job. No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away or eschews <laughs> evil, eschews or turns away from evil. So we find here in Job, look at the picture. Don't, don't think about this from your tradition. Let's put on a different hat what the text is saying. The text is saying that they're in God's presence. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to propose to you that that's the unseen realm. Where God is right now, described as a high place in Scripture, God is in his place of judgment where he is ruling and what's happening, the Satan figure that we're not going to focus on right now, maybe for a different time, it just means in Hebrew, the accusers, 
So there's this act happening in the unseen realm where they're discussing what humans are doing. The sons of God figure, it's, it's clear that they are in an unseen realm, in God's presence, discussing the seen realm. Do we see that? Sons of God were together, Satan was there in their presence, or the accusers were there in their presence, and they were discussing in the unseen realm what was happening in the what? Seen realm. Sons of God. Sons of God. Numbers chapter 13, verse 31 through 33. And I read. But the men who had gone up with him responded, we can't attack the people because they are stronger than we are. This is the story of the 12 men that went to spy on Canaan. Remember the song from Sunday school? 12 men went to spy on Canaan. 10 were bad and 2 were good. What do you think they saw in Canaan? 10 were bad and 2 were good. Some saw giants, big and strong. Who knows that song? Yes! I three of you. Some saw grapes of clusters long. Some saw God was in it all. 10 were bad and 2 were good. Let's do it faster, boys and girls. You ready? 12 men went to spy on Anyway, <laughs> Sunday school song. The, the point is, is there was this moment where... Stay with me now. I know it's hard because I'm all over the place. I'm just trying to keep your attention. You're like, okay, we're at the teaching part of the message. I'll be back next week. <laughs> no, stay with me. <laughs> that was good, wasn't it? I say things just for Amy. She gives me, like, all the laughter I need. Here's the thing. The children of Israel, they leave captivity in Egypt, and they wander in the wilderness, but the Lord was going to give them what? The promised land. When they get to the promised land, what the Lord had given them to inherit, there were giants in the land. You say, I can't believe that there were dinosaurs, that there were giants, that there were this, that, and the other. I asked you in the beginning of the service if you believed in angels, if you believed in the unseen. I asked you if you believed in God. It's not far-fetched that there were giants walking on the, in the land. Not to mention there's archaeological findings as such. So, so how did this happen? I, I'm going to tell you why I think it happened and how I think it happened in just a minute. But the point is, is in this story in Numbers, what we're about to read is that the land that God, watch this, that God had given the children of Israel to inherit was inhabited by hostile forces that were giants. That's very applicable to us. You know the ground that the Lord wants you to conquer and you feel like you can't? It's owned by hostile enemy forces. The Lord wants you to conquer that territory. The Lord wants you to inhabit the land that he's given you to possess, not the giants. We talk about Goliath as, as if he's some fig, figment of the imagination. The devil always does that. All he has is a mirage. All he has is a figurative giant in your life that the Lord has already defeated. Remember, what's Peter talking about? What's the question? What is your greatest fear? It's, it's absolutely no happenstance that Peter's talking about this passage. What's your greatest fear? Well, some people fear aliens coming from outer space. What's the context of that? Could that happen? We're, we're, very, we're not rooted in Scripture. What I'm about to read comes from Scripture. This is the story. Twelve men went to spy on the land that God gave them to possess. Here's what they said. Here's what they saw. You ready? Numbers chapter 13, verse 31. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land that they had scouted. The land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw, capital N, the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim 
to ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers, and we must have seemed the same to them. So the children of Israel, when given the promised land to inhabit, the land of Canaan, they saw what? Big people, giants. Specifically, they were the Nephilim. Specifically, the descendants of Anak. Let me read you another verse. Are you ready? Genesis chapter 6, and this is where Peter is pulling from. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. When mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of who? That's the same language that Job uses. Submit to you the same Hebrew language underneath the English text. The sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were what? Beautiful. And they took any they chose as wives for themselves. And the Lord said, my spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterwards when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them and they were powerful men of old, the famous men. I submit to you that this gives context for the Noah's Ark story. Why would God find, find a place in history that he would eradicate civilization and start over with eight of them being saved? Why would God do that? I submit to you this morning that it's because of the sons of God, fallen angels, finding the daughters of men. This story that's given in the Bible. Buckle your seatbelts. I'm going to read you an excerpt from a podcast that I regularly listen to called the Naked Bible Podcast. Here it is. Are you ready? There are some tight connections between Genesis 6, 1 through 4, and the epistle of 2 Peter and Jude. Peter and Jude were very familiar. This is important, vitally important. They were very familiar with Jewish tradition about Genesis 6, found in the books like 1 Enoch, and believed them. 1 Enoch 6 through 15 describes how the sons of God, also called watchers, there's movies, there's, there, there's a lot of things that connect with this. Greek mythology also connects with this. Called watchers in that book who committed the offense of Genesis 6, 1 through 4 and were imprisoned under the earth in, uh, in the underworld for what they had done. The watchers appealed their sentence and they asked Enoch in the book of 1st Enoch, the biblical prophet who never died, according to Genesis 5, to intercede for them. Now, 1st Enoch 6.4 puts it this way. They, the watchers, asked that I, Enoch the speaker, write a memorandum of petition for them that they might have forgiveness and that I write the memorandum of petition for them in the presence of the Lord of heaven. Now, God sent back his response. Don't miss this. Peter was well aware. The book of Enoch was in wide circulation in the early church. It wasn't removed from the canon of scripture until 300 years uh, after, after the early church. And in some church, some churches in Ethiopia specifically still maintain it. We're not arguing that it should be a part of scripture today. That's a different conversation, okay? What we're, what we're talking about is that this is what Peter had what? In his mind. This is a tradition that Peter would have accepted. And why do I say that? Because of what's written here in 1 Peter 3. Stay with me. Uh, the watchers that I, Enoch the speaker, for petition... This is described in 1 Enoch 13, 1 through 3, and chapters 14, 4 through 5. Here are some excerpts from verse 1 in chapter 13. 
with God as the speaker. And Enoch, go and say to Azazel, you have no peace. A great sentence has gone forth against you to bind you. You will have no relief or petition because of the unrighteous deeds that you have revealed. Because of all the godless deeds and the unrighteousness and the sin that you revealed to men. And then I, Enoch, went and spoke to all of them, the spirits in prison. Do you see that in our text? The spirits imprisoned together and they were all afraid and trembling and fear seized them. Why would Peter ask the question, what are you scared of? Because you're not the one who should be afraid. It's the spirits in prison. It fear seized them. Now, First Enoch goes on to describe the prison term as being this, until the end of days. Language that refers to the end times. 2 Peter 2.4 and Jude 6 make specific reference to the episode of Genesis 6, 1-4, through 4, and the imprisonment of these fallen divine beings in the underworld. Remember in James it says, to those angels that left their first estate. That's what it's talking about. The incident was also on Peter's mind when he wrote the first epistle in our strange passage, which is the one we're talking about. Peter saw a theological analogy, a typology, between the events of Genesis 6 and the events of Enoch's intercession from first Enoch and their fallout with the gospel and the resurrection. In other words, don't miss this, he considered these events to be types or prefigments or precursors to the New Testament events and ideas. So what we have here is that just as Jesus was the second Adam for Paul, Jesus is the second Enoch for Peter. Enoch descended to the imprisoned fallen angels to announce their doom. 1 Peter 3, 14 through 22, has Jesus descending to the same spirits in prison, the fallen angels, to tell them they were still defeated despite his crucifixion. God's plan of salvation and the kingdom rule was still intact. In fact, it was right on schedule. The crucifixion actually meant victory over every demonic force opposed to God. The spiritual war was won at the crucifixion, and following the Enochian typology here shows us that just as Enoch proclaimed the watcher's doom, so Jesus repeats the act, announcing that his death certified the victory over the realms of death and all of those spiritual forces consigned to the dark world. The victory declaration of 1 Peter 3, 14 through 22, ends with Jesus, risen from the dead, set on the right hand of God above all angels, all authorities, and all power. Jesus' suffering was the best thing to ever happen to us. Jesus' suffering allows freedom from the law of sin and of death. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through, 1 through 3. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, little s, but test the spirits to see if they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Baptism, stay with me, is a declaration of your pledge to Jesus, not just to all what we see physically, but for all those forces that we do not see. Let me read this one more time. For Jesus also, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, 
the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in times past were disobedient, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah. Like this, baptism is also uh, corresponding to this. Not, not saves you by the removal of dirt, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me bring this home for you. The book of Enoch, the Bible says Enoch walked with God, the Bible, not the book of Enoch, our Bible, our 66 books. It says that Enoch walked with God and was not. We know that Enoch was transliterated to the heavens, and in this extra writing in Jewish tradition, Enoch goes and tells the watchers, the angels that left their first estate, according to Jude, that their sentence was permanent. Just like Adam, sin is passed to all men. Jesus comes and dies and passes life to all of those. Just like Enoch went down and said, listen, understand this, that you're not getting out. Mankind was God's. They were created in God's image. They were made to have communion with God. And you chose to leave your first estate. You chose to infect a human race, whether for pride, we don't know the reasons, but we know that Satan is a hostile enemy force against the kingdom of God. And here's what I see. I see not only on our end, how many believe in forces outside of us? How many believe in evil? How many believe in greed? How many believe that the devil uses these spirits in our lives to keep us? How many believe in spiritual warfare? This is why it's so important. If you believe in spiritual warfare, you have to understand this, that those spirits that committed a sin to go opposite, to, to fall away from their original intent, the Lord took care of them too. Here's what Peter is saying. This is where I get really happy. P Peter's saying this, listen, you have a sin nature, you have problems, you have issues, and, and that's for sure, we all have sin, right? And guess what? Adam passed sin unto you. Jesus passes life unto you. And know that in Jesus you can have life. You can believe. But guess what? There's more to the story. All of the forces of hell that come against us, that come against our marriages, that come against our lives, that literally try to derail us, that try to instill fear in you. Let me explain something. What Peter is saying they're the ones who are afraid. When Jesus died on the cross, they thought, we did it. We killed him. Sin wasn't. It was too much for the king of kings to bear. We finally got Jesus. We conquered him. But when he was in the grave, he went to those spirits that were in prison. And he said, guess what? <laughs> maybe about 4,000 years ago, maybe more. You remember that prophet Enoch that told you that my sentence was forever to you? Guess what? On day three, I'm not staying here. On day three, you may think you have power over men with sin, but I'm going to prove through my resurrection that you have no power over them, and I'm going to put you to shame. Son. So baptism is a like figure that when we're saved, we are burying our sins, right, beneath the surface. In, in this ancient Near East context, they looked at hell as being an underworld. 
they didn't think about our circular planet and where hell could be in another dimension. They thought of it as like a flat line. Anything below the surface is what? The underworld, and anything above is the heavens. So when Jesus said, <laughs> we're going to bury our sins, through the power of my resurrection, you will be raised to new life, it is a declaration, not for just us, but for every member of the unseen realm, that you are raised to walk in life and that they will remain in death. Understand this, church. The Lord has taken care of more things than we can even comprehend. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are making a commitment and a pledge to him, and he is pledging to us that we will live forever. Let's go back to this verse. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? Peter has in view a declaration, a pledge of loyalty that we make to Jesus, that if we make, guess what? Not one principality or power can do anything about it. Whatever you fear, fear. I don't, I don't know if, if I can make it through that. Yes, you can. Raised to walk in newness of life. There's two words here at work in this passage. Shame and hope. Shame is applied, he Jesus sends them to shame. Shame is applied to those below the surface, but hope is given to those that rise above it. Resurrection power gives hope for eternity, even in obscurity. Resurrection power gives hope for eternity, even in obscurity. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's sit in this for just a moment, just a moment. It would be a shame for the hostile enemy forces against God to have more power and control over us through fear when Jesus literally said, I shamed them. I went down and I told them, you're staying here forever. Let me help you with something. Hell was not created. The underworld was not created for you. It was created for angels that left their first estate. It was created for divine forces that were hostile against Yahweh, the one true God of Israel. This morning, we can, bank, we can take this to the bank in Scripture, that God created you and I in his image, and he loves you so very much. God has placed over us this grace and mercy, and he wants you to walk in that and not in fear. If you're sitting here today and you have never put your faith and trust here, I'm going to say it this way, the way Peter says it. If you've never declared your loyalty to Jesus, today is a great day to do so. Before you ever climb into the baptistry to show the hostile enemy forces that death has no more bearing and that you will walk into eternity, before, before you show them that, you first pledge your loyalty to God. If you're sitting here today, I... I I beg you, run to the Father. Shame is for those that are beneath the surface, not for us who live above it. In your heart right now, declare Jesus, God, over everything that is in your life. 